Hello, I'm Rob Buckingham and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, episode 78. We dig deep into topics and questions each week to discover what the Bible says. Many people struggle with maintaining a healthy weight throughout their lives. So what help and inspiration can we find in the scriptures? I'll also share some of my weight loss journey later in the podcast. But first, how do the four faces of the cherubim represent the four gospels and the character of Jesus? Let's find out. Rob, you mentioned a while ago, that the four faces of the cherubim reflect the four Gospels. Can you elaborate more on this, please? Yes, certainly I can. Firstly, let's see who or what these mystical creatures are, cherubim. They are not cute little fat babies. Just want to clear that up. Uh, With wings and a bow, all right? They're not cherubs. They're just the opposite, in fact. In one of his visions, Ezekiel describes the cherubim in detail, uh, and that's recorded for us in the first chapter of Ezekiel's book, his prophecy. And I encourage you to read chapter one of Ezekiel sometime during the week. But just a few verses from verse five, in the fire were what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. And the reason for that, verse 10 tells us, that their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. Then on the right side, each had the face of a lion. On the left side, each had the face of an ox. And probably at the back, by inference, each had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. So, you know, we've heard about people who are (laughs) two-faced. Cherubim are four-faced. And it's almost like they've got blockheads. But, you know, they've got faces on, on each side. Ezekiel also writes about these fascinating creatures in chapter 10 of his prophecy. And then they pop up again in John's Revelation. We find them in John chapter 4, verse, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 4 and uh, verses 6 and 7. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. In verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. So these are fascinating characters. Nowhere does the Bible refer to them as angels. And in fact, cherubim are mentioned uh, more in the Bible than every class of angel combined. In Scripture, they provide a proclamation of God's presence They're seen upholding the holiness and majesty of God. For example, their first appearance in the Bible is guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden. We read about that in Genesis 3 and verse 24. And likewise, the Bible describes 
two golden cherubim that kneeled at each end of the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. You can read more about that in Exodus chapter 25 and Hebrews 9.5. Their image was also fashioned into two five-metre-high statues inside Solomon's great temple. That's uh, recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 23, furthering the perception of their utmost importance to God. With that background in mind, back to our question, in what ways do the four faces of the cherubim, the lion, the ox, the uh, eagle, and the man reflect the four Gospels? The cherubim, uh, interpreted in this way as a prophetic type of the four Gospels and, of course, of the nature of Jesus, is actually a really ancient teaching. It goes back to the second century after Jesus with the church father Irenaeus. Irenaeus regarded the faces of the cherubim as, and I quote, images of the life and work of the Son of God. Both Augustine and Jerome wrote on this subject in the fourth and fifth centuries. So let's have a look at uh, at each of the four Gospels. First of all, we've got the Gospel of Matthew, and the revelation here from the face of the cherubim is the face of a man. Matthew's gospel depicts Jesus as a humble and meek man. He highlights Jesus' entry into the world and his incarnation and his birth. Matthew is the gospel of Jesus' humanity. And so it's no surprise that Matthew wears the face of the human being. Then we've got Mark. Mark's gospel is the lion. Mark quotes the prophet Isaiah to begin his gospel. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist's message was like a lion's roar. The lion also signified royalty, an appropriate symbol, of course, for the Son of God. The third gospel is the gospel of Luke, and there we see the ox, the face of the ox. Luke begins his gospel by announcing the birth of John the Baptist to his father, who was a priest by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah was offering sacrifice in the temple in Luke chapter 1 when he gets the vision from the angel. Luke is the only gospel writer to include the parable of the prodigal son. In the story, of course, the oxen or the fatted calf is slaughtered to celebrate the younger son's return, foreshadowing the joy we experience in receiving reconciliation through the Saviour. Oxen were used in temple sacrifices, 2 Samuel 6. So the ox reminds us of Jesus' priestly character and his sacrifice for our redemption, which, of course, then leaves the Gospel of John to have the remaining face, which is the face of an eagle. John is represented by this rising eagle. Augustine wrote about John's Gospel, and I quote, he soars as an eagle above the clouds of human infirmity, and gazes on the light of immutable truth with most keen and steady eyes of the heart. Father William Saunders says this on the Catholic Exchange website, the gospel begins with the lofty prologue and rises to pierce most deeply the mysteries of God, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Incarnation. Unlike the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John absorbs the reader in the deepest of Jesus' teachings, such as the long conversations with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, and Jesus' striking teachings on the bread of life and the good shepherd. 
Jesus too identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone who embraces him as such will rise to everlasting life with him. And so it's very right, very fitting that John would wear the face of the eagle. While each of these symbols focuses on the particular theme of each gospel, only in penetrating all four gospels do we encounter Jesus completely. And I think that that is one of the beautiful truths behind the fact that there are four gospels that start the New Testament scriptures. It's, you know, the Holy Spirit didn't just want one account, not just two or even just three, but four. Four gospels, all with different emphases, but all bringing a different face, if you like, a different face of Jesus. Um, uh, but but together, all four bringing completion. And, and so, once again, just visiting those titles um, in Matthew's Gospel, the face of the man, we see Jesus as the Son of Man. Um, all the way through Math- Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is intrinsically human. He's, he's God in human form. Then we get into the ox. Um, uh, the ox is sacrifice, and it's also servanthood. You see oxen, <coughs> excuse me, you see oxen um, uh, drawing plows or pulling plows along, and, and, and they're the servant. And so we see in Mark's gospel particularly Jesus' servanthood. Uh, then the lion. Jesus' majesty, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, Revelation 5.5 says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah who triumphed. And then the eagle, which um, emphasizes Jesus' divinity. He is the faultless God-man. He's 100% divine and 100% human, thus making him the perfect one to reconcile humanity with their creator. And so Augustine, just to finish this, called the four Gospels, and I quote, the fourfold car of the Lord, upon which he rides throughout the world and subdues the nations to his easy yoke. And so that's magnificent, isn't it? I just love that. That's how um, how the four Gospels um, portray the, uh, the four faces of the cherubim. And as I mentioned when I first started that, um, that's a really ancient teaching. It was only a hundred years or so after the resurrection of Jesus um, that people like Irenaeus and then other church fathers started talking about that. Are there any passages in Scripture that I can use to guide me as I try to lose weight? I have battled with weight my whole life, but I need to do something at age 53 and with high blood pressure, but I feel like I need God's help a lot this time. Thanks. And a smiley face. So let's get into this. Um, In answering this question, I actually want to share some of my recent experiences with you. So Some of this is personal testimony, but I will share quite a few uh, verses from the scriptures with you as well. But before I get into this, a disclaimer, I am neither a doctor nor a medical practitioner. I am not a dietitian and I am not a nutritionist. And so what I'm going to speak about here is my own experience and what I personally have learned from it. So this is my journey, uh, but I hope it encourages you 
and helps you on your journey. And so I don't think I would be the only one who, during the first year of the pandemic, particularly here in Melbourne with our lockdown after lockdown after lockdown, put on some weight, okay, some pandemic pounds or some COVID kilos. So during that first year, I was still making the most of my one hour a day uh, to go and exercise. I'd go to the beach or one of our local parks, which were both within 500, sorry, five kilometers where we live and uh, go and have a good walk. But by the end of the day, I'd, um, I'd get food, I'd bring it home. I, I love to cook. So during that year, I did most of the cooking and I'd cook a lovely meal for myself and Christy and our three daughters. Often their boyfriends would be around. Um, the two, two, two boyfriends, the youngest one doesn't have one. Um, and then, of course, Christy's mum and dad, who arrived here on the 19th of March, uh, 2020, and the borders, Australian borders, shut the next day. So they came here on the 19th of March, 2020, for a six-week holiday, and they're still here um, because now they're not well enough to be able to travel home to Northern Ireland. And so cook a nice meal, and then after dinner, We'd sit on the couch together, watch a TV series or part thereof or watch a movie. And during the day, I'd have gone shopping and I came home every day with two or three bars of chocolate. And so while we were watching TV, we'd break the chocolate up, share it around. So that was basically life for a year. And by the end of that year, I had put on a significant amount of weight. Now, you probably say, well, Rob, I've never seen you look any different. You don't look like you put any weight on to me. One of the blessings of Rob Buckingham is my height, right? I'm six foot two, 186 centimeters tall. And so when I put on weight, it's spread very evenly and it doesn't look like I've put a lot on, but I knew I had. And especially when I put on some trousers and really had trouble buttoning them up. And so at that point, you can either lose weight or you can go shopping and buy yourself the next size up. But I decided I wasn't going to buy bigger trousers. Around the same time, I had a doctor's appointment. The doctor gave me an annual checkup, sent me off to get some blood tests. The blood tests came back and the blood test showed that I was pre-diabetic. Now, we don't have diabetes in our family at all. So it wasn't uh, genetic. It wasn't inherited. It was type two. And, and so it was purely lifestyle. But he put me on some medication and I said to him, I said, I really don't want to be on medication. I'm very unhappy that I find myself in this condition and I want to do something about it. What would you suggest? And um, my doctor and I have known each other for a couple of decades. He's a great guy. And just with a glint in his eye, he poked me in the belly and he said, well, losing some of that would be a good start. And I'm going to tell you that that's all I needed. Being pre-diabetic, my doctor telling me what to do, and also finding myself unable to wear about half of my wardrobe of clothes, I decided to set about and lose some weight. And so for the past uh, year or more, I have been eating healthily and exercising regularly. Um, exercise, I go for a good solid walk pretty well every day. I try and walk a brisk walk for 45 minutes to an hour. I go to the gym twice a week to do resistance training. And once a week I do Pilates. And so I find that 
really keeps me pretty fit and healthy. And then I started eating really, really healthily. And I'll go through um, my eating plan with you um, a little bit later. So long story short, I went back to see my doctor just a few weeks ago, and I had lost 17 kilos in the meantime. And he gave me more blood tests. He said, well done. The blood tests came back and I'm no longer pre-diabetic. All my bloods have gone back to completely normal and healthy and all of it because I was eating healthily, exercising well and losing weight. Now, I am not suggesting that all medical conditions can be healed, cured or prevented by exercise, healthy eating and weight loss. Some things just happen. Uh, to us. but back, So back to the question with all that in mind, are there any passages in scripture that I can use to guide me as I try to lose weight? And, and the part of the question I love is this statement, I feel like I need God's help a lot this time. And I think that's a wonderful place to be in because when we, when we run out of our own self-control or passion or willpower or whatever, we have a God who loves us, who understands, a God who was born into the human family and knows what it's like to live in a human body. And so God knows, God understands, God empathizes. And, and so finding yourself in a place where you go, I need God's help, is actually an incredibly good place to be because losing weight is hard. Putting it on, I've got to tell you, putting it on was so easy and a lot of fun. The chocolate particularly was really yummy, but losing it's hard. And what's equally as hard is keeping it off once you've lost it. But God is always present to help us. And I think that's the key, constantly relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so let's have a look at some scripture here. And the first couple of verses that came to mind <clears throat> when I was asked this question with Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Paul writes these words, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's two things there that stand out as product of the Holy Spirit's life in us that we really need if we're doing something like trying to lose some weight. One of them is forbearance. That word means patience and restraint. Both of those are necessary if we want to lose a few kg. The other is self-control, and I, and I think that's evident. Now, I'm going to give you a, a whole stack of verses in the Scriptures that deal with reliance on God. And if you've got a pen and a piece of paper or maybe a smart device and you want to just type these verses in, and I encourage you to go through and, and look these up uh, during the week and really be encouraged by these. And if you're planning on trying to lose some weight or if you set yourself a goal in any other area of life and you really want to say, hey, I'm going to rely on God here, these verses are gold. So make a note of them, tuck them away somewhere safe, and then you refer to them on a regular basis to give yourself encouragement as you rely on God for the goal that you are setting. And so Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Psalm 145 verses 15 and 16, the eyes of all look to you. 
and you give them their food at the proper time, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. So the eyes of all look to God. So important, reliant on him. Psalm 63 and verse 5, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Great way to be reliant on God is singing his praises. Lamentations, uh, this should be chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus said, come to me, all you, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So encouraging. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's the, the commandment there. So don't be anxious. Don't worry about stuff. If you try and lose weight, don't get into worry about it. Um, in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, praising God, present your request to God. When you do that, you can claim the promise of verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A wonderful promise. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, worship is not just a bunch of songs on a Sunday morning. That's wonderful. That's, that's corporate praise. But our lifestyle of worship is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead one that is holy and pleasing to God. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live by or live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so <clears throat> food is important, but it's not the most important thing. Uh, the words that come from the mouth of God feed our spirit, and they are more important than our bread. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So fix your mind on the Lord. Psalm 32 and verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. This is so important because, you know, you're not the only one to struggle uh, with food. You're not the only one to struggle with hunger. All of those things are temptations that um, can overtake us at times. But these are things that are common to the whole human race. And so when we find ourselves in that condition, there's a wonderful promise in the next verse. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out 
so that you can endure it. Meditate on all of those verses. Aren't they absolutely magnificent scriptures? And so they're all about the reliance or being reliant on God. So next, I'm going to share with you some scriptures that you can use when you're losing weight or as you're trying to lose weight. Okay, so make a note of these ones, scriptures for when you're trying to lose weight. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So important that we have a revelation of that. You know, our bodies um, individually are temples of the Holy Spirit. We're also, when we get together corporately, uh, Paul says that we become a temple corporately that the Holy Spirit fills. But also our our individual bodies are a, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. And so it's important that we understand, as Paul goes on to say, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. None of us like uh, discipline in any shape or form, do we? Um, Including sometimes self-discipline. It's hard. There's, There's a hundred reasons your brain can give you for why not to be disciplined at any particular time. Why should I not be disciplined about my eating? Wow, because that dessert looks amazing. That bar of chocolate would be delicious. You know, my mind tries to talk me out of Friday mornings or Saturday mornings um, when I have a, have some time off. And But instead of lying in bed, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to the gym. But um, it doesn't seem to be pleasant when I actually hear the alarm go off and get out of bed. But once I've had my shower and I've got dressed, had breakfast and I'm at the gym, then I love it. So I, I produce it produces a harvest for me of right living and peace once I've been trained by that discipline. It's great. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. All the little details, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Rhetorical question, but the answer is yes. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I love what Paul is teaching here because he's actually teaching us perspective. Um, Our body is important, but there's a part of us that's even more important, and that's our spirit. And so he's saying physical training is of some value. So when I go to the gym, uh, Pilates, walking, eating healthily, all of that, looking after my body because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit is important. It has value but it's not as important as living a godly life because that's got value for all things, holding promise for the present life as well as the life to come. And so always keep that perspective too. 
And then um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, do you not know that in the race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So if you're going to start a journey of trying to lose some weight, then set your eyes on the prize and run like crazy. Run to win. That's what the apostle is talking about there. We hope you're enjoying this Digging Deeper podcast and finding help understanding the Bible and how it applies to life. Here at Digging Deeper, we'd appreciate your help letting others know about this podcast. One way to do this is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. And please like Rob Buckingham's public figure page on Facebook. You can interact with us there and ask questions you'd like Rob to answer in future episodes of Digging Deeper. Now back to Rob. Just as I bring this to a conclusion, there's some things that I think are important to understand with losing weight or really any medical condition. And the first of those would be to talk to your doctor, get their guidance, um, because they know you. They know your health condition. They know um, if you've got particular medical conditions that need to be monitored. They know that if you're on particular types of um, uh, medication, some types of medication make weight, weight loss really difficult. Some medications will actually put weight on. So you need to talk to your GP, okay? Uh, talk to them about um, the way you should do this, uh, foods that you are to avoid, and maybe what could work for you. Uh, so a good start is to chat with your GP. The second thing I would say is to be realistic about your body type. This is so important. We've got to work with what we've got. Now, I'm just, I'm a tall, skinny bloke. And so I was always, as a teenager and in my 20s, I was always self-conscious uh, of my body type because I really was, I was a beanpole, you know, like I was probably a good 10 kilograms lighter than I am now, which was too thin. Um, but, you know, like you just have to work with your body type. And this can be a challenge for many of us because we are bombarded by beautiful bodies on TV, on social media, and magazines, everywhere we look, um, that you very rarely will see a plus-size model. There are people who are plus-size models, but most of the time we are seeing the so-called body beautiful. Got to realize that many of the photos that we see are not actually realistic. They've already been photoshopped. And even if the person does look like that, it's invariably their full-time job to look like that, which means they have hours every day to work out at the gym, to do cardio, to do all of that kind of stuff. I mean, you look at someone like Chris Hemsworth, for example. And if you go online and, and Google his, his um, workout regime, there's a couple of workouts every day, 90 minutes each. There's a diet regime and so on. The, his whole full-time job for months and months and months was getting in shape so that he could start filming the Thor movies. And so you couldn't look like that as a normal individual. And also realizing, you know, I've met lots of people that you would look at and think, my goodness, they're really good-looking, well-built people. I have ministered to a lot of people like that over the years. And can I tell you, almost every one of them had um, areas of low self-esteem. Um, I remember four guys I was ministering to completely separately 
many years ago. Um, they all looked like they'd stepped off the cover of a men's health magazine. And yet three of them were dealing with depression. One of them was dealing with low self-esteem, just didn't think much of himself. And, you know, wouldn't have been any good me saying to him, have you looked in a mirror lately? Because it wouldn't have helped him. Of course, he's looked in a mirror. And so all we got to get, we got to be realistic and realize that even if we were to achieve that goal of the body beautiful, we may not feel any better in our mind. Um, you can't change your genetics. All you can do is make the best of what you already have. So get that into your head. So important. Number three, achieving a healthy weight is a lifestyle choice. And I emphasize the word lifestyle. You got to get your head around the fact that this is the way that you are to live from now on for the rest of your life. Because otherwise what happens is you eat well for six months, you lose weight, and then you go back to the way it was. And what happens is, well, your body's got a memory and it will start to stack all that weight on. It's in survival mode. And so this needs to be a lifestyle choice. Get your head around the fact that there are certain foods that are not good for you. And I had to do that with chocolate. And so find um, alternatives. So after dinner, I, I still like to have a sweet treat. Instead of eating chocolate these days, I'll have a couple of pitted dates or an orange or a mandarin. Be aware of instant gratification. When you see something that's yummy and you would really love to eat it, ask yourself, is the short-term enjoyment of this chocolate or whatever greater than the long-term enjoyment of the benefits of losing weight? of feeling better about myself and more comfortable in my clothes, of being healthier. And, and just watch out for fad diets, okay? This is where you go back and chat with your GP. Find out what works. Um, fad diets, what you'll end up doing is a kind of a, a lose and gain. Uh, you know, it's like a, a bust and boom. And um, with a fad diet, you'll lose weight and put it all back on again. And then you just repeat that cycle over and over again. Number four, when losing weight, you will sometimes plateau. And I find this really important to, to know because as I was losing weight, I would weigh myself on a regular basis and there were whole months where my weight would plateau. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be stuck here. And I hadn't reached my goal. And then suddenly after three, four, five weeks, all at the same weight, I'd weigh myself and suddenly I'd lost half a kilo. And so just get that into your head. I've read testimonies of people who have plateaued on a particular weight for 12 months, but they've kept at it, and eventually their weight has started to drop again. Number five, the weight loss journey can be a long one. This is, again, about being realistic. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And just go back to those Bible verses on patience um, and meditate on those. Number six, stay cheerful, positive, and fixed on the benefits. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones. And so on this journey, keep a cheerful heart, remain buoyant. It's good medicine to you. And then a, a few final thoughts as I wrap this up. Plan ahead, especially with your meals. Um, what I do now, 
and I've been doing this now for a good year, is making uh, plates of food and putting them in the fridge. So I'll make a large plate of salad, for example, enough to last me and anyone else in the family who wants to have some salad several days. Um, have a cooked chicken in the fridge. So you got easy protein, all of those sorts of things. And, and so it's quick. And, and you're not then stuck. At the end of the day, you get home, you're tired, and you go, oh, order a pizza. No, 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 you've got food there. And so plan ahead, do meal plans, preparation before time, um, and then don't get addicted to the scales. To the Don't weigh yourself every day. Don't get addicted to the scales. If you are going to use scales to weigh yourself, make sure you've got good ones. Don't move them around the house. Have them in one location because if you move them, they don't always weigh accurately straight away after that. I think the best guide for me personally is how my clothes are fitting. So as I said right at the beginning when I was trying to get my trousers buttoned up and they weren't buttoning up very well or it was very uncomfortable, I knew I had to do something. So now, of course, my, all my trousers are loose and I've started to buy myself some that are a, a size smaller than my other ones. But that's a really good guide. How are your clothes fitting you? And then maybe you might like to think about this as well. Have an accountability buddy if you need someone um, to hold you accountable. And so to walk that journey with them, uh, you might find that was helpful. I didn't have an accountability buddy. I was uh, very focused and um, and determined to um, to make this a lifestyle choice and I'm enjoying the benefits of that. So before I finish up, I, I mentioned earlier that I'll just share with you very quickly how I eat. This is what I've done to lose 17 kilos. This might not work for you, but this certainly works for me. And so for breakfast, I started making my own porridge. Um, oats is very high GI and it, it takes a long time to burn. So if you have a lot of oats, um, it will burn up for the whole morning. You will not feel hungry. And I add into my porridge, I add Greek yogurt, um, raisins, walnuts, slivered almonds. And so I've got a really good solid bowl of food there. After I've finished, I don't feel full, but I feel incredibly satisfied. And really, I'll go through the whole morning without having anything else to eat. Sometimes just a piece of fruit, but invariably nothing till lunchtime. And then lunch and dinner is very simple. I have protein and salad or a protein and steamed vegetables. Um, proteins include things like cottage cheese, which I love, um, chicken, fish, steak, any other red meat, pork. Um, I, I love my meat, so all of the proteins. Cheese. Uh, a lot of cheeses are very, very fatty, but three cheeses help, or I find have helped me with my weight lift, uh, my weight loss. Uh, cottage cheese, I mentioned before, Parmesan cheese, which is lovely, just sprinkled on salad or um, uh, steamed veggies, and also feta cheese, which is great on salads too. Snacks, if you want something mid morning, mid afternoon, or after dinner, things like fruit, apples, pears, mandarins, oranges, berries are great high in fiber, um, nuts, dates, sugar-free yogurt. I say sugar-free. You don't have to go low-fat if you don't want to, but often low-fat products are high sugar. So make sure, and it's sugar is the problem. So make sure that you go for sugar-free yogurt. Uh, 
So basically, the diet I've just explained to you is high fiber with good fats, healthy proteins, lots of veggies, and some fruit. The things I've avoided over the last year or so is lots of carbohydrates. So I'm not eating bread. I don't eat or haven't eaten a lot of pasta to lose the weight. Um, last night I had ravioli and really enjoyed it. See, once you've lost, you can you can have a cheap meal every now and again, really enjoy it, but then you're back uh, on the wagon. So I avoid bread, lots of pasta, rice, potato, stuff like that. No processed foods. If it comes in a packet, if it's highly processed, I don't touch it. I don't have sugar, chocolate, um, and no high-carb sugary drinks like soft drinks. I just don't do that. And so doing all that, I lost the excess weight. I feel amazing. I'm full of energy more than ever before, and I'm now maintaining my weight by adopting this as a healthy lifestyle, eating well and exercising every day. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. A new episode of Digging Deeper is out every Wednesday. If you like this podcast, please share it with others and rate and review us on iTunes. That goes a long way to help others find us. If you have a question or topic you'd like Rob to address, please get in touch with us at Rob Buckingham's Public Figure Facebook page or email connect at baysidechurch.com.au. Next week, Pastor Rob will explore the nature of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Also, what is the New Jerusalem like? And why did Jesus prohibit his followers from swearing an oath? All that and more on next week's episode of Digging Deeper.